It's not about quitting your job overnight and making some broad dramatic statement. It really is about these tiny things that you commit yourself to. And if you're having trouble making that commitment, perhaps you can enlist a trusted person in your circle to be an accountability partner. But you've got to begin. You've got to transcend analysis paralysis and the kind of you know vicious cycle that's probably rotating in your head that's keeping you stuck. Because action is truly the only thing that's going to alter your circumstances. So ask yourself, how committed are you to change? And are you willing to take some uncomfortable actions in order to shift your reality? And when you do that, and you don't get caught up in timelines, and you have the patience to see it through, to continue to show up day after day when you don't feel like doing the hard thing, I think you will see that your life will change. I'm Doug Bopes personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today is a special treat. I have been tracking down this guy to get this interview for quite some time, and after hearing who it is, you will understand why. And many of you will recognize today's guest from his highly acclaimed podcast. Some of you may have read his book or just heard of his incredible accomplishments online. He hosts one of the most popular podcasts out there, and his show was the first major podcast to feature my story, and I am so blessed that the tables have turned and I am now able to pay it forward and have him as a guest on my podcast. He is also one of the fittest humans alive, and just to give you an idea, he completed five Ironman distance triathlons on five different islands of Hawaii in less than a week. He is also a recovery warrior, having over 20 years of sobriety, and today we get into some parts of his journey that you may not be as familiar with. And so I am very excited that Rich Roll joins me on the show today. Rich is the host of the highly popular Rich Roll podcast, his memoir, Finding Ultra, Rejecting Middle Age, Becoming One of the World's Fittest Men and Discovering Myself was a bestseller. His newest book, Voicing Change, is available for sale tomorrow and will undoubtedly be equally successful. In addition to being a podcast host and an author, he is also a plant-based nutrition advocate and an ultra-endurance athlete. He is a beacon of light to people worldwide as an inspiring example of transformation, courage, and healthy living. He is the epitome of using adversity to his advantage. And today we talk about Rich's effective way of dealing with his own struggles and why surrendering and letting go of what you can't control is so important. We also talk about how someone can go from having a fear-based mindset to having a faith-based mindset. And Rich opens up and talks about the importance of playing the long game when it comes to trying to achieve your goals, some of the biggest steps he takes to boost his mood, and of course, his newest book, Voicing Change. And Rich says, change is not only possible, it's freely available to you. So get ready to have your mind blown by the incredible wisdom and inspiration he's gained from his personal and professional experiences. So let's give a warm welcome to the man who is one of the most influential, athletic, and wise humans on the planet, Rich Roll, to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Rich, thank you so much for coming on. 
Great to be here, Doug. I know it took a little bit of time to make this happen, but I'm looking forward to talking to you. And it's, it's good to see you, even if by Zoom. I know it's interesting. The tables have kind of turned. I know you and I first connected when you had me on your podcast. And I got to say, my interview on your show was the most complete conversation I've had of my entire journey. I think you talked about that in the intro. And I just really want to thank you because you were the first you know, major podcast to really crack my story open. And I've been waiting for the day to kind of pay it forward and reconnect and have you on my show because I really appreciated the honest conversation we had. Well, I appreciate that. The appreciation is is mutual. <laughs> and you've got a great story, and I think your story is really powerful. And it was an honor to share it and to help amplify it a little bit as well. And I think what is compelling, well, there's lots of things that are compelling about your story, but one of the things that, that you have is just a, a certain relatability. Like people can see themselves in your journey or find a, a way to connect, you know, emotionally with the things that you've gone through. I think it's very relatable to people. And, you know, it was a great episode and people really enjoyed it. So, it's a, you know, it was a privilege for me to host that. You know, I appreciate you saying that. And I guess that it just stems from pain and trauma and being in the midst of despair that I'm able to kind of get down at such a deep and emotional level to connect with people in other in other audiences, my own audience. But I got to say, you have transformed like nearly every single aspect of your life from bad to phenomenal. I mean, you think about you're now you've been voted as one of the fittest men in the world after being 50 pounds overweight and a heart attack that was nearly coming. You host one of the top self-improvement podcasts in the world after, you know, kind of being kind of skeptical about getting in the self-improvement world. You're being bullied in school and being shy and now having conversations with some of the most inspiring people in the world. And I got to ask now, I think since you have overcome so much and so many people have been blessed to hear your story, what are a few things, if anything, that you've struggled with as of late and how you've been dealing with it? Well, I should hire you to follow me around and repeat that all the time. As you recounted that, I could feel myself like clenching up. Like I have so much discomfort with compliments and nice things being said about me. So that's one thing that I struggle with. Like it's been told to me, like, just say thank you. You know, yeah. you don't have to like try to minimize that kind of thing. And, and so that's one thing that I'm always kind of working on because my default is to tell you all the reasons why. I don't deserve uh, any of those those monikers because fundamentally, I'm still the same guy. And one of the weird things about growth is that it's often not perceptible to the person who's growing, and it has to be reflected back upon you by people in in your circle or in your orbit who are able to see more objectively, you know, the arc of your progress or, or regress, whatever the case may be. Because I still wake up and. I feel the same, you know, that I did five years ago, and I struggle with a lot of things. One of the reasons I'm uncomfortable with all the things you said is that, you know, I don't want to be put on a pedestal as somebody who has everything figured out. And part of hosting the podcast is my commitment to continue to grow and to continue to have the courage to highlight my blind spots when I become aware of them and, and to work on them. I just published a piece on Esquire that went up today. And one of the things I said in the article, it was kind of a call to action to, to help people navigate this election week and, and to do it in a grounded way with some equanimity. And one of the things that I suggested is doing a gratitude list. 
And I point out, like, I'm not a naturally grateful person. Like, I'm an irascible, difficult, petty, <laughs> selfish, self-involved, you know, impatient human being who has to do a lot of things just to get my feet anchored in the dirt so I can have a conversation with someone like yourself and hold myself out as, you know, the version of me that I want people to know about and that I aspire to and that I hope to fully inhabit. But it's a journey. I don't think any of us ever quite get there. So it's all about the process and the commitment that we, you know, show up for every single day to try to be a little bit better today than yesterday. It just seems in your story and everything you've gone through, you've always had this feeling of less than and having to outwork everyone and not wanting to do the thing for the external validation, for the likes, for the praise, for the awards, just for your own self-discovery. It all stems from your ability to just be so self-aware of yourself that I think comes from surrendering and letting go and just knowing that you can only control what you can control. And I know you talked about that in that piece too. So why do you think surrendering and letting go of what you can't control is so important to get yourself out of a hole? I think it's you know important for so many reasons. And I think when you use the word surrender, if you're not steeped in kind of the recovery and addiction community, it's going to strike you as weakness, right? And I pointed mm -hmm. this out in the article, like surrender. Why would I do that? I'm a fighter. Like I'm, I'm here to win or I'm here to, you know, get what's mine. In truth, I think part of growth is understanding how little that we actually do have control over. And, you know, our kind of sphere of influence really is limited to what's going on in between our ears and how we respond to the world around us. And the more... I just, you know, speaking from personal experience, another recovery thing, like I'm not here to give anybody advice. I'm here to share my experience. And my experience is that when I focus on trying to get clear with who I am and how my behavior manifests from the thoughts that I entertain in my head, and I stay out of the results of how those things land in the world or trying to move the tectonic plates of culture, that not only am I a happier person, I'm a better person. And ironically, I found that when I do that, I'm in a better position to actually provoke the kind of change that I would like to see in the world. And again, it goes back to not giving advice. Like when I share my experience and I do it from a place of vulnerability and empathy, which is something I know that you're familiar with, you did that on my podcast, that's something that people emotionally connect with and it ends up being a way to engender compassion and understanding. And I think those are the more powerful levers for provoking the kind of change, uh, positive change in the world and in ourselves. Yeah, you're so right. I think when you can really get down and connect within yourself and be vulnerable and be relatable to your audience or to whoever you're speaking to, you are going to invoke change not only within yourself but you're going to inspire the other people around you to get better as well and i think so many people pay attention to the things they can't control right like you can't control how much money you're going to have in your stock market portfolio in five years you can't control who's going to be president you can't control you know whether you're going to you know buy your dream house you can't there's, there's a lot of things that are out of your control but what you can control is your health you can control what you eat, 
how you treat other people, what you listen to and what you watch. And I think your podcast during this time of the pandemic and even through the years has been something that has been a beacon of light for so many people. I, th- I think you pivoting into this roll on segments you've been doing has been very informative for your audience and for myself included, just to gain some wisdom and some insight from, from yourself to help people get through these hard times. And the one thing I wanted to ask you when it comes to that, would you say that it has really helped your recovery, staying connected to the people that inspire you? Yeah, it's definitely helped my recovery. And it's brought into my world like this unbelievable board of advisors and network of friendships and people that I can call upon for, you know, various reasons when I'm going through difficult times and need some, you know, sagacious advice or wisdom. So it certainly benefited me in a huge way. And, you know, to your point about the roll on episodes, I mean, I traditionally have hosted a show where I have people like yourself on and they're not really rooted in any particular time. Like they're, it's evergreen content. I could put up my episode with Doug at any moment and it's going to work just fine. But when the world started to get really nutty, I really felt called. I felt this obligation or responsibility to speak more contemporaneously to the things that, that are going on. So every two weeks I do this show with my friend Adam Skolnick and we talk about topics of the day. And it's been an interesting experience because it is a pivot and a little bit different from my traditional programming. And for the most part, people have embraced it and really enjoy it, but it's not without its detractors. Like suddenly I'm in a place where I'm on the receiving end of an avalanche of criticism that I wasn't getting before. And I think a lot of that is motivated by fear and discontent and and you know people's buttons getting pushed and anytime you even come within 10 miles of anything political of course everything being political now there's going to be controversy and it's been a growth opportunity to learn how to get comfortable with that because that's new for me and to be able to mute out all of that incoming stuff so that i can just be myself and not be influenced by all of that noise. And I've struggled with that, to be honest with you. And I've had to stop like looking at comments and, and, and the like, because I don't want that infecting the purity of where I'm coming from. And I've got to just be comfortable with it's okay if not everybody agrees with it, if I still feel strongly that it's something important to talk about. Yeah. And I think it just goes back to our ability as a society being able to be okay with agreeing to disagree with somebody and not hating them for having a different opinion. I think that's what's made our country so great through the years is that we are are a blend of different people with different opinions, different lifestyles. And just because we might not agree with what someone's doing doesn't mean that we have to hate them for it. And I think you're one of the most authentic and genuine people I've ever come across in the personal development space. So I have the utmost respect for everything you say. And I'm sure not everyone's going to agree with everything you say, but I think it comes back to having at least the decency and respect for you and putting yourself out on the line when the people who are probably putting the comments on there are people that are just like, wow, I should be saying something or speaking how I feel and I just don't have the courage to do it. Right. And you're right. I think a lot of it comes out of fear. And I think a lot of your struggles today, as you've shared, and even in your past, were fear-based, but you were able, I think, to bridge that gap between fear and faith. And how do you think one can really do that from being in such a fear-based mindset to living more 
with faith? I think it begins with being honest with yourself and doing that inventory to shine a light on those aspects of our past that we're ashamed of, that we compartmentalize and that we hide because we're so afraid of what people might think if they discover who we really are. So that's to say that it's an inward journey. You know, it's an inside job to kind of clean your personal house and work through some of those things that haunt you in your sleep and that prevent you from being, you know, a, a more fully actualized individual and then sharing those things. I think that's really empowering when you lead with vulnerability because it gives other people permission to do the same and it's very comforting to do that. And I think you're right, like people are afraid right now and when they're lashing out and saying nasty vile things, what they're really saying is I'm in pain and my life is not what I want it to be right now. And I'm looking for some external receiver for that confusion. And you know whether that gets directed at me or somebody else, the point is the same. Like people are having a hard time right now. And so what I do when I see that is I try to have compassion for that. And I try to understand where it's coming from. And that really deflates all of it. And then I can reach my hand out and say, you know, how can I help you? Or let's talk or, you know, let's try to bridge this, this gap that lives between us because truly that's the only way we're gonna be able to move forward as a society. And, you know, when you said it's fine for two people to disagree if there's some kind of mutual respect, I think that that's correct. But I think we're in a situation at the moment where we've lost the ability to agree on a common shared set of facts. And a big part of that is by dint of social media and these silos that we inhabit and a news cycle that is making it more and more difficult to discern what is actually true from what is partisan to what is conspiracy theory. And with that confusion comes, you know, a denigration of that firm ground. Like it does turn into this quicksand where, you know, we're operating from different sets of facts and that's really splitting us and dividing us in a really pernicious way. And so if I have a fear, it's our fear of being unable to communicate because if we can't do that, we can't move forward as a productive society. Yeah, I think if people are on two sides and they're throwing rocks at each other, it's not gonna help the situation, right? Coming together in the middle, having some middle ground and almost just showing up with love, empathy and gratitude for each other, I think is what's gonna move the needle in the right direction. Is it gonna solve everything? I mean, no, but I think at the end of the day, it's gonna get us a lot further than just continuing to pick at each other. Speaking of communication, mm -hmm. you are a phenomenal conversationalist. But the funny thing is you're so shy in school and in your younger years. So how are you able to develop such incredible conversational mm -hmm. skills? I mean, I'm still kind of shy. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm fundamentally an introvert. You know, look, I've been doing this for eight years yeah. and I've had, you know, over 550 people on my show. So you get better. I mean, hopefully, you know, I've gotten decent at it just because I've practiced a lot. And what I've learned is it's important to be super prepared and I try to be really prepared for everybody that sits down. But I also try to set aside that preparation and just be present for what is happening and to let go of whatever my agenda for the conversation is or the direction that I think it should go and allow it to be what it wants to be. And I think a lot of 
podcast hosts get so caught up in their list of questions or their attachment, their expectation for the conversation that they're not really present for what's happening. And so they're not listening. And so I try to experience it as if we're at a dinner party and I just met somebody and I'm curious and I wanna know more about that. And I've gotten more comfortable in that role, even though I am shy and an introvert, but I still get nervous before every single podcast because I'm like, because I do want it to go well. And I enter into every one of these conversations wanting it to be, you know, the best possible version of what it could possibly be. And so the battle is holding on to that aspiration while also letting go of that at the same time. Yeah, again, it's like the theme of letting go and surrendering that you say and focusing on what you can control. You can control how you show up. You can control knowing whoever you're interviewing story and being present for that interview, but you can't control if a conversation takes a turn and it goes in a way that it's supposed to and you got to right. just go with the flow sometimes. And I think to the point you alluded to earlier about just the fact that you've done over 500 interviews on your show and you've had this notion, I think, from early on that this whole Rome wasn't built in a day approach. You know, it's seen with your fitness routine, your recovery, uh, and everything you've done with your podcast, it has served you to play the long game. Why do you think so many people try to short circuit it? And how can, why is it so important to play the long game when it comes with trying to achieve something like a podcast or anything else that's meant to, you know, take up years of your life? Well, we live in the, you know, the, this hack culture where everybody's trying to find the shortcut yeah. to success, whether it's financial success, fitness success, whatever it is, everybody wants to go behind the velvet rope and they'll pay for the secret so they can arrive at the finish line as expeditiously as possible. And if there's anything that I've learned is that, first of all, it's not the most effective strategy to becoming successful. I, uh, you know, I would double down on that every single time, but it's also not about what's important to me either. Like for me, the success of the podcast in terms of audience size and finances is really a function of nothing else other than me showing up and trying to do the best best conversation that I can possibly have and not thinking about anything else. I mean, I did the show for years and years before we made any money off of it. Like it never occurred to me that it would be a business because it wasn't about that for me. And so when I see people taking shortcuts whether it's flagrant stuff like buying followers or trying to game the rankings on iTunes or, or whatever the case may be. How do you gain the rankings on iTunes? I mean, I, I've heard of the buying the followers, but you can actually gain rankings by what, like just hacking downloads or something? Oh, I mean, on LinkedIn, I get a message almost every single day from somebody overseas saying, pay me and I'll get you to the top of iTunes. Oh it's crazy. Like, I don't know how it works. I think they kind of marshal some bot armies to do certain things. Like, who knows? I don't know. But I know that people have done it in the past. And I know there's a lot of, you know, unethical behavior in the digital space. Ultimately, you know, those people never become successful. They may make a splash that they can, you know, plant their flag on. But where are they going to be five years later? One of the things about being an endurance athlete is you come to really appreciate that. It's like, I'm not in it, you know, to win this year. I want to be waking up enthusiastic about doing this five years from now. Like, I think we, and I've said this before, like, I think people really overestimate what they're capable of achieving in the short run, whether it be a month or six months or a year, and they wildly underestimate what they can accomplish in a decade. But 
it's hard to stay committed to something for a long period of time. I mean, that takes tenacity and grit and work ethic and determination and consistency and perseverance and all of these things that that really, you know, on a day-to-day basis are not very sexy. But ultimately, you know, I appreciate you saying that because I, I always do try to play the long game and I try to not pay attention to whatever the trend of the moment is and just consistently try to reinvest in myself and get better at my craft. And I think quality ultimately rises to the top. And also, you know, I think what's what's often overlooked is just how important character and integrity are. Like when you sell your integrity down the river for a quick short-term gain, you're ultimately harming yourself in a way that's potentially irreparable. So when you you know, maintain, you know, a priority on, on ensuring that you're, you're operating from a place of integrity. I think ultimately it's a better strategy. And certainly, you know, in my case, that's been my experience, you know, over the eight years that I've done this. Yeah, I think you're right. Character and integrity, work ethic. I mean, those things can't be bought, right? And I believe, and I've heard you say this before, your experience as a swimmer, set the tone on the importance of needing a strong work ethic when it comes came to chasing your dreams. I know you swam in your younger years and then you got into drinking and then your swimming career fell short. But I think there was some sense of foundation inside of you built from that, that when you got back on the saddle in your workout routine, it was already there. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think I learned early that hard work pays dividends. You know, I was a kid who was a good swimmer but I wasn't great and I certainly wasn't the most talented, but I- You need to go to Stanford though. Yeah, but I was, well, I mean, before that, like when I was 15, I was surrounded by kids that were a lot faster than me. And I realized Mm -hmm. that if I wanted to compete at the highest level, I was gonna have to outwork everybody else. I wasn't gonna be able to rely on talent. And, And I was able to get to that place because of this huge capacity for suffering that I developed. And that became like my MO. And it, and I credit it with, you know, taking me a great distance. And I applied that academically as well. Like, I don't think I was the smartest guy, but I could study harder and, you know, eke out the grades that I needed. I swam at Stanford, but I wanted the experience of being a small fish in a big sea rather than going somewhere where I would be more stand out. And I was a bench warmer at Stanford and alcohol derailed my career. But even if it hadn't, I wasn't going to the Olympics. You know, I, I learned, I saw immediately when I arrived there that there was no way I was going to be able to keep pace with my teammates and I could work hard and I could get to a certain place, but there was definitely a cap on my potential. But I think I've taken that same mentality and, you know, and applied it to, you know, the other things that I've done in my life. And, you know, I think there's downsides to that as well, which we can get into if you want. But but ultimately, you know, I would characterize myself as a workhorse over over talent. Yeah, I mean, let's get into that a little bit, because I feel like I've heard you say that swimming was your first drug of choice. And then, you know, you kind of got into alcohol and partying. Then you got back into fitness. Then you know, you got obviously you were in recovery and then now you're in the podcasting and personal development space. So would you say that, you know, your podcast has kind of become like your new drug of choice in a, in a healthy way as an outlet? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. 
It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Probably. It, it certainly takes up most of my time. And I probably spend too much time on things that don't matter because I have some obsessive, compulsive, addictive streak in me that won't allow me to go to sleep at night until I know the blog post is perfect or you know, certain aspects of, of what I do that no one is paying attention to for some reason, rent a lot of space in my head. You know, it'd be easy for me to dismiss that and say, no, I'm, I'm in recovery and like I have this balanced approach to my life, but that's not really true. Like I, I you know, this is a grind, you know, and there's something about the yeah. grind that satisfies that addict inside of me that wants to lose myself in something so I don't have to be present with my emotions. And I can use the podcast just like I use drugs or alcohol or swimming or anything else. Like it will serve that need to shift my emotional state or distract me from the discomfort that lives inside of me unless I'm you know, diligent enough to create healthy boundaries around it. And for the most part, I am diligent about that, but that's not to say that it's in any way perfect. Like I have to do a lot of work to create you know, healthy separation between me and the things that tempt me to go down those dark rabbit holes. And I guess I think the big difference between having alcohol or drugs as that outlet in the podcast or fitness is at least from what I can tell with your, the community of people you've built, your podcast changes so many people's lives. And I also see it as being like your biggest act of service is spending hours a mm -hmm. week, either in your solo episode with you and your co-host, or when you're interviewing somebody to provide valuable content that can impact somebody's health, recovery, their day-to-day -day life. So I think for you doing what you're doing and anybody else who's putting out valuable content, I think it's a healthy outlet to release some stress. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, that's the sensibility that I approach it. And I, I you know, I always want to come from a place of seva, of service, that I'm giving more than I'm receiving. I think the trick from a recovery point of view is not getting caught up in the selfish aspect of it, which is hey, I'm making money on this. And like, how many people are watching this? And like, look at all the love that's pouring in in these comments and in these emails. Like I will develop a very unhealthy relationship with all of those things. So yes, like the podcast is a healthy outlet, but it also has its innate triggers that are, you know, kind of programmed to activate the bad wolf on my shoulder or the inner addict inside of me that's looking for something to latch onto. So, you know, the struggle is trying to live in that place of purity with the whole thing and not get caught up in all the externalities 
that are serving my ego and activating, you know, the alcoholism that 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 still, you know, resides inside of me and requires daily treatment. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. I think it goes back to the notion of doing things for the right reasons to grow internally and not necessarily for the validation that comes externally from it, whether having a podcast, a job, whether it's a relationship, it's got to feel good inside of you. And I think there's so much value that comes out of your show for the listeners. What I wanted to ask you, though, while we're on this subject is you've had some of the most inspiring and amazing people on your show. You've had Goggins, you had Russell Brand, you had Matthew McConaughey on, you had Dr. Andrew Huberman. I'm just going, I mean, there's so many. I'm just like off the top of my head. Was there, was there any like guest or two that after that you were so mind blown that you maybe you added a tip or their story, something just inspired you to create some mm. massive change in your life right away? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, there's certain people that come on the show and they offer some piece of very like tactical advice. And those are the easy things to then, you know, weave into your life. So, you know, whether it's Rhonda Patrick talking about sauna or Wim Hof talking about, you know, breathing practices or cold water immersion, like those translate very easily into practices that, you know, I've then adopted. But I think for the most part, you know, everybody brings, you know, something to the table and that just gets entered into my conscious, you know, my consciousness on some level and it impacts me positively, but it's not as tangible. You know what I mean? Mm. And and some of the conversations that I've had that really live with me the longest and rent the most space in my head, you know, aren't necessarily the obvious ones. You know, I, I get a lot of inspiration. You know, it's cool to have Matthew McConaughey on or Edward Norton, like these are, you know, big name people. And there's, you know, it's, it's undoubtedly, you know, exciting, you know, to get an opportunity to talk to somebody like that. But I, I really relish the conversations that I have with less well-known people. And there's something really meaningful to me personally, when I can amplify what I think is an amazing story or a point of view, like to give somebody that opportunity to broaden what they have to say that they wouldn't have otherwise. Like, you know, in some respects, I think that was true with, with our conversation. It was certainly true with people like Josh Johnny, even my latest episode with Hakim Tafari, like that guy isn't out shilling a book. Like I just met him and I was like, this guy's incredible. Like I want to share his story. And then to see his like, you know, he's like emailing me and his DMs are blowing up and he's getting all this love. Like, that's really cool for me. You know, that's that's very gratifying because I think he has something to say that needs to be heard. And to the extent that I can be in service of that, that's where I get like a little extra layer of gratitude and satisfaction from this vocation. You know, you're not the first person that said that sometimes the most um, well-received interviews are the ones that of people who they've never heard of, because a lot of times people get on the circuit, right? And you're like, oh, and you're like, oh man, I've heard this story like 15 times already. But then you get somebody maybe you haven't even heard mm -hmm. of and you're like, wow. And then it pays twofold because now, like you said, you're not only, you know, learning from that guest that maybe you've never even talked to before or heard on a podcast. Now it's having a domino effect because now their story is being amplified and quote unquote blowing up. And now they're helping other people. Like I remember when I was on your show after the episode mm -hmm. came out, I mean, I can't tell you how many messages I got from moms whose my story gave them hope about their kid to survive addiction or whether it was people themselves that struggled or people that are just crazy inspired. And like I said, that's why I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity 
to share and being on your podcast is part of what inspired me to do my own because I just felt this sense of like peace when I was able to have these vulnerable conversations, especially the one with you that I was like, wow, I actually enjoy this. And I, when I started, I, I took the approach of you. I was like, I don't want to do this to make money. I want to do this because I enjoy talking to people and I want to change some lives because there's a lot of people right now that are in pain and the whole notion of this adversity advantage. I think you are spot on with in this article is really like helping people use their darkest moments to get better. And in the article, you talk about reducing the half-life, right? So talk a bit about reducing the half-life when you're in pain and the importance of it and the steps you can take for someone who's struggling. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that all, all of these wellness practices, whether it's mindfulness or meditation or cold water immersion, like we're all trying to be, like I said earlier, a little bit better tomorrow than we are today. And there's lots of avenues towards that. But I think people get confused into believing that this is going to immunize them from hardship or difficulty. And it doesn't work like that. Like that goes back to the externalities that we can't control and the focus being more properly placed on on how we do respond to the world around us. How can we create a scenario in which we are less reactive, less impulsive, less compulsive, where we don't get triggered as easily when those buttons get pushed. And that's, again, not to say that you're not going to react from time to time or you're not going to get angry or frustrated or resentful, but how can we reduce the half-life of that? How can we shrink the amount of time that it takes for you to reset and get back to some level of equanimity, which is really the optimal place for responding effectively to whatever's going around you. And meditation and mindfulness, I've just found to be the most powerful practices for that. It takes time. You have to be committed. You got to show up for it every day. And your improvement is often imperceptible. But when you commit to these types of these tactics and these kind of practices, you will find yourself gliding through life a little bit more smoothly. And when you meet obstacles and unforeseen circumstances, you're able to more effectively manage them because you're thinking more clearly, you're grounded emotionally. And when you do get thrown off your ballast, you're able to recalibrate really quickly. And I really think that that is a superpower right now, especially when we see tempers flaring out of control and people lashing out at each other. I see a crisis of mindfulness, a crisis of lack of equanimity. And I think to the extent that we can all grasp a little bit more of that in our lives, that's going to serve us not only as individuals, but as a culture in this in this very auspicious moment that we're having right now, where it's unclear you know, how we're going to move forward as a productive society. Yeah, we are in an uncertain time for sure. And I think so many people get caught up in this certainty of life and we expect life to be a certain way. And in reality, we all know consciously that life is a constant game of curveballs being thrown at us constantly, right? It's, it's always changing. It's always evolving. I think what tends to happen is the adversity or whatever pain we're going through isn't what breaks us. It's how we respond to it typically that breaks us, right? Mm-hmm. Think about somebody who may, maybe they lose a job. Them losing the job, it wasn't what you know breaks their life. It's them 
going and drinking for the next 10 years because they lost that job. And I can go on and on with examples. Mm -hmm. So I think there's so much importance in what you wrote in that article about the ability to surrender, practice the pause a bit, look at your choices, focus on what you can control and take some actions that help your mood. I mean, that mood follows action. I think about every single day that I live because it's now, okay, I'm not feeling good. Like, what can I do to improve my mood? How can I change my state so that I'm back on my feet, thinking clearly and positive about my life and I can go on with my day? So what are the things that you do when you're kind of feeling like in a lull mood or in a bad mood? Like, What are some of the biggest actions you personally take that gets you to that next level in mm. your mood up? Yeah. I mean, before answering that, I was, when you were explaining all of that, I was, I was thinking about Jocko Willing yeah. and you know how he always says, no matter what happens, good. good. <laughs> Lost the job, good. You know, you know, the thing didn't work out, good. You know, like no matter what it is, you know, to lead with that really depletes all the negative energy around the thing that is causing you that kind of crisis, which I think is a really, you know, fun and practice and, and kind of he just distills it down into its most simplest idea. Yeah, I mean, mood follows action. That was something that that was told to me by my first sponsor, like, you know, well over 20 years ago. And I've never forgotten it. And I think about it every single day as well. And essentially what it means is don't wait until you feel like doing something. Take the action first and the mood will follow. We're hardwired to sit around and wait until we feel like doing something or put things off. And I've just found that when I'm able to shut off my brain and take the contrary action, that I then expedite the mood that I'm trying to create in myself. So that doesn't mean that there are, you know, there's plenty of mornings I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to go running today or I don't, you know, all uh, that thing that's on my to-do list, like I just can't get, you know, I just can't get up for it. Like I'm going to do that later. And I've trained myself to just do that thing first. And the way that I do that is I do my best to turn my thinking brain off so I'm not paying attention to those signals that are creating the resistance. And then I break it down into the tiniest of actions. So in the example of not wanting to go for a run first thing in the morning, you know, let's just start with like sitting up in your bed and then putting your feet on the ground. And then, okay, now I'm going to stand up. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to take a step. I'm going to put my socks on, you know, now I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go running, but I'm going to put my shoes on, you know, like don't think any further ahead than the next step. And by stringing those together, you find yourself out the door, taking that first jogging step. And before you know it, you've done the run and then you get back and you're like, I can't believe I wasn't going to do that. I feel so much better. Right. And, you know, this is a very common struggle with all of us and I'm, I'm not immune from it, but that mantra has been very, very powerful and effective in my own life. I think that people have this, this vision that everybody who exercises loves working out. And the fact of the matter is it's not true. I think, as a matter of fact, most people don't like exercising. They just love how it makes them feel when they're done, right? And I think, you know, it sucks to get up in the morning earlier than you want or when you're not feeling your best to go mm -hmm. out on a run. But what also sucks is that shame and regret you have from not doing the thing you know you should have done to feel better about yourself. And I think it all comes back to personal accountability and responsibility and knowing that we all have choices every single day and how we're going to show up for ourselves. And it's about managing the feel good chemical, the dopamine, right? I know 
there's there's many ways we can get that feeling. Some are healthy, some are unhealthy. And you just got to make a choice and who you want to show up as for that day. Are you going to be somebody that you'd be inspired by? Or are you going to be that person that you'd be ashamed of? And I think the biggest thing that people get caught up in is they, they think they're going to be positive all the time, right? There's this toxic positivity going around that everyone has to be positive. Everyone's positive all the time. And I've heard you talk about this. And I think people just need to accept sometimes that they're not going to be 100%. And I think if we can just lean in and say, you know what, like I accept this is where I'm at right now. Focus, like you say, on the things I can control, get moving and then feel better. I think we'll get out of a rut much faster than if we just sit there and kind of like wallow in that pity. Well, it's never been easier to measure yourself against an idealized version of who you think you're supposed to be. All you have to do is open up Instagram and you see pictures of, Mm. you know, people that are so fit or so beautiful that they don't look real. And and what do we do? We go into a shame spiral by virtue of comparing ourselves against those ideals. And it's not healthy, you know, and I think toxic positivity and idealized, you know, body image culture are really harming people. But the truth is we all can be better than we are. And it starts with doing hard things. You know, and it gets it starts with getting out of your comfort zone and doing something that you don't want to do. And that doesn't have to just be limited to physical things. It's anything that you're pushing off or or resistant to. And when you start to string those things together, you start to develop a sense of being the kind of person who does hard things. And with that, you develop self-esteem and a value system around this, you know, crafted identity of being that kind of individual who go who makes a habit of getting out of their comfort zone and testing themselves and not being afraid to 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 fail. Somebody who's committed to to growth and all its messiness. And I think we need a little bit more of that right now. You know, people are stuck and they're afraid of looking bad and they're afraid of failure because we've stigmatized that as well. Like I wish there was a different word other than failure because people need to be encouraged. Yeah to you know try new things and have it not work out because that's where you learn who you are and you develop the tenacity to you know progressively grow and evolve. Yeah, I think if the word failure was replaced with life lesson, I think more people would fail, right? But unfortunately, it's not. And I think the one thing that is going to provide so many people with tons of life lessons is your new book Voicing Change. And I know anything you you put, you touch, just kind of turns to gold. And I'm not saying this in some weird way. It's just because I think you put so much work, dedication, and time, and you don't short-circuit things that just what you do just ends up being successful because you lay the foundation and you put the work in. So talk a bit about what the inspiration for the book was, what's the concept, and what people can get out of it. The inspiration for this book is really a desire to canonize some of the wisdom and inspiration that that I've received as, as a result of hosting this podcast. It's also a way of honoring the many guests that I've had on the show and also honoring the audience. And I wanted to do it in an aesthetically pleasing way, which is why we decided to kind of create this coffee, you know, coffee table book format. It's basically excerpts from 50 guests that I've had over the last eight years with transcripts, sort of, you know, sections of things that they said on the podcast in written form with beautiful photographs. 
essays that have been contributed from a bunch of people and other, you know, kind of contributions with, with, of course, you know, plenty of my thoughts kind of interspersed without. And it's intended to be, you know, a representation of, you know, the ideal that I'm trying to create and the community that I'm trying to cultivate with the podcast. And also a way for people to revisit their favorite guests and for people that don't know who I am and are unfamiliar with the podcast to have a nice introduction to the work that's so meaningful to me. I love the title Voicing Change. It just kind of summarizes your, your own story of how you've taken so many messes in your life and created you know, some beauty out of it. And not just for yourself, but you're helping millions of people through your show, through your platform, through whenever you speak, through your books. And I wanted to ask, is there like some common themes you've seen in the guests you featured in the book? Maybe it's, you know, different things they did, they had in common as far as success or how they took care of their health and how they, or how they excelled in life. You know, everybody has their own unique journey, but I think if there's strains of commonality, it's that there's this shared respect for commitment to being the most fully actualized individual that you can possibly be, which is really the overarching theme of the show. Like, how do we become self-actualized? How do we become the best version of ourselves? And each one of these guests has pursued that in a different way, but it's that commitment to always being a little bit better that I think unites all of them. Again, it's weird because they all rent space in my unconscious mind, but it bleeds together into this like gelatinous goo where it becomes difficult for me to pull a thread and, and remember a specific thing that a specific individual said. I think it's the mix of all of them together and how they complement each other and where they overlap and where they're unique that I think is the interesting kind of discovery process of you know perusing my show or, or, or flipping through the pages of a book like this. Yeah. You know, I appreciate you kind of sharing that. And I think from a listener's perspective, I think that there's a common theme, at least in my understanding, that these are a vast and diverse group of people from all walks of life and all different professions and financial statuses and everything else. But I think your audience gets value out of every single one to some aspect, whether it's their story, whether it's a tip they shared, maybe it's a different perspective uh, they had on a situation that, that opened up their eyes. And I'm sure your listeners uh, are going to be so thankful to put this into a book format. And then also as well as the listeners, new people who maybe haven't found your show yet to peruse through 50 of the most amazing episodes you've had on your show and being able to get a bunch of different you know, tips and tricks to help themselves in a time where people are looking to rediscover themselves and change the narrative that they're telling themselves over and over again, because there's a lot of people, as we've shared numerous times on the show, that are continually putting themselves in a rut and staying stuck there. So last question I want to ask you is you got your new book called Voicing Change, and there's a lot of people that have been trying to voice change within themselves right? And they just can't change that negative story they've been telling themselves over and over again. So what advice do you have for someone to change the way they talk to themselves and create lasting change in their life? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it, look, there's too many people who are stuck in lives that are not fulfilling them. And I, I think that that's tragic. And if there's you know, anything that I'm committed to, it's trying to help people evolve out of such predicaments, whether they're professional or personal. 
you know, over the eight years of doing this podcast and through my own experiences, I've seen people change in such dramatic ways that they become unrecognizable from the person they were before. Whether it's Russell Brand, who was a hopeless heroin addict, to becoming, you know, the individual that we all know today, or John McAvoy, who got a life sentence and was in solitary confinement, to becoming this prison reform advocate and Nike-sponsored Ironman triathlete. Like, whenever you feel like there's no hope and you're powerless to change your circumstances, I have so many examples of people who have been in conditions so dire and yet have summoned the courage and the tenacity to utterly change their life experience wholesale. And that gives me hope. So for the person who's out there who is suffering, who feels stuck, who, who can't seem to find the wherewithal to you know, make the changes required or they're paralyzed by fear or whatever the case may be, I'm here to tell you that change is not only possible, it's freely available to you. And I don't say that in a Pollyanna way. It may be the very hardest thing you ever undertake in your life. But if you desire to change your life, that is possible. And it begins with taking one very small action and another action the next day. And in this clickbait, soundbite, hack your life, culture and world, we don't like to hear that. We want to see, like we talked about earlier, the shortcut to making millions online and flying around in a private jet. And that's just not the way that it works. It happens anonymously in the privacy of your own home, in the relationship that exists between your two ears. So if you are in pain, congratulations, that's the best place to start. Use that pain as a motivator, as a lever to actually get you up off the couch whether that's literal or figurative, and start to manifest in very small nuggets the life that you would like to lead. It can begin with taking inventory of what's not working in your life and making a list of the things that you would like to bring more expression to in your life. It might start with pulling a pair of running shoes out of the closet and going out for a walk because you have this dream of running a marathon. Getting out a pad of paper and writing down some jokes because you have a dream of one day becoming a stand-up comic. It's not about quitting your job overnight and making some broad, dramatic statement. It really is about these tiny things that you commit yourself to. And if you're having trouble making that commitment, perhaps you can enlist a trusted person in your circle to be an accountability partner, but you've got to begin. You've got to transcend analysis paralysis and the kind of you know vicious cycle that's probably rotating in your head that's keeping you stuck because action is truly the only thing that's going to alter your circumstances. So ask yourself, how committed are you to change? And are you willing to take some uncomfortable actions in order to shift your reality? And when you do that and you don't get caught up in timelines and you have the patience to see it through, to continue to show up day after day when you don't feel like doing the hard thing, I think you will see that your life will change in, you know, in ways that you perhaps could not have imagined. And you know, I've, ha I've experienced this in my life, Doug, I know you have in yours. I'm sure you've talked to lots of people who have had that same kind of experience and it's gonna look different for every individual, but it really begins with a decision and an action. Mood follows action. And I think I couldn't have said that better myself. Mm -hmm. And 
I got kind of fired up just listening to you say that. I started like thinking to myself, what are some things that I need to improve on? Mm-hmm. What are some different actions I need to start taking in different areas of my life? And that right there is is literally what you just shared, you know, the blueprint to using adversity to your advantage and voicing change within yourself to create a transformation and help others. So Rich, wanted to thank you so much for coming on. If people want to buy the book, it's available at richroll.com slash voicing change, correct? Richroll.com slash VC or voicingchange.com, but it's not on Amazon. We're, We're making it available only through my website. Sweet. I will make sure to put that in the show notes as well as link for people to go follow you on Instagram at Rich Roll and the Rich Roll podcast. If you guys aren't listening to his show, you definitely need to. As I said early on, his his show was a big inspiration for mine and you will absolutely love what he brings to the table with his content and the guests he bring on. His wisdom is life-changing. And I encourage people to really take some deep inventory within themselves after listening to you know, clips of Rich's story, his advice on getting yourself out of a rut, turning your pain into purpose and cultivating change within yourself. And I invite you to not only buy his book, but to take a screenshot of this episode, maybe share something that you learned. Maybe it was a takeaway that you're going to implement in your life. Tag myself, tag Rich. We'd love to hear from you. If you felt this episode really touched your heart, we'd love to hear reviews as well. So be sure to leave us a review. Let us know what you thought. Once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes. I'll see you next time. Thank you, Doug.